Chinch, do you like your balloon? I do like my balloon. It looks slightly deflated, a bit like mm. myself. Why, why, mm. why do you think it might be slightly deflated? Because I've arrived late on the scene. <laughs> it, it was fully flated yes. when I should have been here. Yeah. And because of my... I, I was in the death throes, I couldn't make it. So some of the helium's gone out of it. So You've pooped your own party, basically, <laughs> Chinch. <laughs> I do that a lot, Steve. I poop. Well, that's an age thing. A lot, generally. Yeah. <laughs> Once you turn just 50, parties. you start to notice it. Yeah. Um, the, the, the problem is, is that when I was sold that balloon, which is an excellent balloon, I think we'll all agree, I was told that it would have a weak lifespan. And I thought to myself, well, that's okay, because I need it for about three days' time. Mm. It's got to the point now where their selling pitch of a week has been surpassed by a 10-day lifespan guaranteed, because the helium is still there. Mm. Um, so anybody who's sold a helium balloon by a card shop saying that it's got a weak lifespan, don't worry, it'll be fine. Can I make a point about the balloon, please? <laughs> it's not, it was, it was as positive as what I just said. No. It is that the colour scheme mm. is slightly more funereal than I would expect to <laughs> well, be appropriate. Well, it was appropriate in the Wh- end, wasn't it? And what also... It, what it looks like is the balloon you get for the 50th anniversary of someone's death. <laughs> or if, or if somebody reaches 50, but promptly that's yeah. where it ends. <laughs> and also, it's a balloon. Yes. Uh, when I buy balloons, I buy them thrice. So why is there not a football balloon or a heart balloon? One, but it a does look like balloon. have, a you, heart have you stolen that? Is that did you have an ECG? From someone, someone's funeral when they died when they were fifty. Because now you now you point it out, Rory. It's not the most uplifting balloon. It's in the quite world, morbid, is it? isn't it? It's, it's morbid. I'll be honest with you. Uh, the alternatives were particularly um, inappropriate. My from, Little Pony for a man as manly as you. But I'm not. So My Little Pony, Power Rangers, pink, pink and heart shaped. Yeah. Why my, not? My Little Pony and, and Power Rangers, mm. both very favoured by the 50-year-olds in this country. Yeah, but <laughs> I'm not a normal 50-year-old. I never have been. What, you're saying that you also like Power Rangers well, and my Chins, I do like Power Rangers. Since in fairness, you've only recently become a 50-year-old. Normal or not. It's a relatively new experience it's a new development. for me. How are you finding it? Um, terrific. Apart from nearly dying... I've really enjoyed my 50s. You had a cold. <laughs> you had let's a cold. Not, no, no, let's no, 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 right there. I did not just have a cold. Don't say man flu. I was seriously ill. I could only broadcast three times in six <laughs> days. That's how ill a I was. A fourth with us would have taken them over the edge. <laughs> exactly. He needed that day. Listen, wait a minute. I'm day. getting paid to... Bro- I have to do that. I don't have to do this. I like doing this. Right. But not when I can't walk. So by, by that logic, you don't like doing what you get paid for. Yeah. This is Set Piece Menu, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. The food is cake. Birthday cake. Because joining me, Hugh Ferris, are Rory Smith, who has not recently celebrated a birthday. Stephen Wyeth, who has celebrated a recent birthday, albeit insignificant. And Andy Hinchcliffe, who has celebrated a significant birthday. Yeah. Cake. So congratulations. Cake, 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 cake. Well, it's up on the side. Can you see it? Because uh, as Barry Glendinning points out, it's never on the table because it would get a bit in the way. But isn't it glorious and magnificent? Made by Steve's Katie. It's sizable. It's sizable. It's Flavor? moist. Flavour? What do we think? It's think? got whole walnuts. How do you know? How do you know it's moist? Because it just, you can just tell. Have you stuck your finger in it? <laughs> How do you know it's moist? There's a card for you. Congratulations. That is your birthday card. And also we have a present... As well, on behalf of oh, the team. It's not a Paul Jewell calendar, is it? So if you'd like to... That would have been a really good idea, actually. Yeah, <laughs> why did present. we not come up with that? Although I'm not sure the pictures would be particularly in, in of all appealing. The, of all the brainstorming, nobody thought uh, yes. of a Paul Jewell calendar. If you could open it now, and if you could... Uh, bear in mind, this is an audio medium, so if you could describe what you're doing at every turn. I'm opening a parcel, Thank you. people. And Oh, my word. 
Is this the England shirt I would have worn yes. at the World Cup 1998? <laughs> oh, my gag. goodness me. We don't even have to explain it. And it's not extra large. It's just large. It's just large. We're hopeful. Oh, I'm going to wear that with pride. I might wear that when I make sweet love to my wife next time. <laughs> oh Seriously, that is awesome. Thank you very much. A, a horrifying thought for everybody, including... Genuinely ruined Andy's it. Why? <laughs> Um, you can get in touch with the podcast via at setpiecemenu, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook. Oh, and if you have any personal messages, you can always send them too, particularly if you know one of us and it's their birthday. Mr. Hinchcliffe, Daniel Mann here. Very happy birthday to you. I'm honoured to speak on this landmark occasion to celebrate the life of someone who quite easily fits into the top 500 best left-backs we've seen in English football in the last 20 years, just. And I, I know that I speak for many when I regard you as the doyen of the commentary box these days. I'm honored to call you my friend, and it's a great privilege and a pleasure to work alongside you. So best wishes to you, and I'll see you at the far post. Hello, it's Jonathan Oakes, Football League reporter from Sky and grateful colleague of seven-cap wonder Andy Hinchcliffe, who often regales us of the night he kept free-scoring Saudi Arabia at bay in a titanic goalless draw at Wembley, one of the all-time great England games. He also needed those gallant qualities the night we covered Bournemouth being promoted to the Premier League. I remember us doing a live pitch-side interview before the game and a sprinkler went off, soaking me and the cameraman and causing Hinchy to let out a blood-curdling squeal. I turned to ask him another question, but he wasn't there anymore. He'd already sought the sanctuary of the tunnel, lovely and dry, ever the professional. <laughs> Have a great 50th birthday, Hinchy. One of my absolute favourite people and a complete joy to work with. Oh, and look at this. It's Sky Sports commentator and Dove spokesperson, Bill Leslie. Yeah, I know, I know. He looks exactly, exactly like Rob Green. Hinchy, um, I'd like to take this opportunity on the occasion of your 50th birthday to say what a pleasure it's been getting to know you, to work hard with you, to laugh with you over the last 10 years or so at Sky. I mean, you've taught me an awful lot from your expertise. I didn't know that a, uh, a grown man could use the word Bicky Bible on a regular basis. Pretty sure I've never had a former England international shout at me across a crowded marketplace in the early hours, get the tip in! <laughs> and I've certainly never nearly lost it. Actually, no, completely lost it on air over the predatory instincts of an Israeli striker called Alan Turgeman. It remains a career highlight for me. Hinchy, all the very best. Happy, happy birthday. Oh and I'll see you very soon. Oh, absolutely. How did, you, how did you do this? I know you just ring people up and ask them. But how did you do this? <laughs> we just thought you'd like to hear from some of your television colleagues at this oh, special time because what, we know that our well wishes are simply not enough. What What's does, the first question you want to ask about all that? <laughs> what does Bicky Bybo mean? Bicky Bybo's. Biscuits. When we were up on the what? gantry, you must have heard the phrase Bicky Bibo. Never. Well, oh, come on. Um, could you please explain Alan Turgeman, or can you not, because it's um, not for a public audience? That's, I can maybe tailor that to be a soccer story ah, at some point. That's good. I can, yes, but get the tip in. Let's leave it. 
Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Probably better. right, that is enough happy birthdays and hero worship for now. To some correspondence that we didn't have to work so hard to get. Oh no, hang on, it's another present for Chinch, because this time in the form of an email from Aaron Brenner, the first of two we will be featuring from him over the next couple of weeks. Get you, Aaron. So, dear set piece menu, he says, my third missive to your illustrious podcast. Nowhere near Buffalo status, I assume, but inching closer. Who As knows where <laughs> Buffalo status <laughs> starts, somewhere, to be honest. Somewhere. And it's it a long and winding road. Somewhere else. Is it? Who knows? Could be. <laughs> As an Everton fan in New York, I never expected to hear Andy Hinchcliffe commentating on a soccer match, let alone an Everton match. But there it was, the voice I've come to know through my earbuds coming over the speakers over the Turnmill Bar in Manhattan during Everton's turgid encounter with Huddersfield. I have no complaints about Mr. Hinchcliffe's contributions to the broadcast. They seem to replicate much of the personality and insight he shows on the pod and the sincere, he says, with a question mark, self-deprecation. Here are some of his more incisive observations about his pre-match encounter with Everton's assistant coach. Duncan Ferguson in a snood. Now I've seen everything. (laughs) About Huddersfield's inability to score. They could have Alan Shearer and it wouldn't make a difference. It's about the supply lines where they need improvement. And then five seconds later, notice I said Shearer and not Aguero, showing my age there. (laughs) Summing up Everton's first half. Everton have been the better side. They've had the greater appetite for battle. And finally, responding to the injury uh, to the over 30-year-old Leighton Baines, it hurts a lot more at my age. Uh, Now I understand, he says, the relentless super dry taunts. And he was certainly more entertaining than either Everton or Huddersfield. Given the sleep-inducing tenor of the match, I would not have been surprised or blamed him if he fell back on a soccer story during the commentary. That's from Aaron Brown. Isn't that a wonderful email? That's really nice. See, you can try and inform, but if the game's turgid, entertain. That's my mantra. Joe Hyland has written in response to last week's pod about the January transfer window. Dear Steve, says Joe. Good. All correspondence should be directed to me. Quite right too. I particularly enjoyed the focus on Michi Batshuayi as we did last week. In the past, we have financially hamstrung ourselves by signing the likes of Christian Benteke and Mamadou Sacco, luxury players that we couldn't really afford. Following on from Hugh's Airbnb analogy, I would compare loaning Michi Batshuayi to leasing a car. For a lower mid-table club like Palace, loaning a player like Batshuayi makes a lot of sense. Like a leased car, we are getting a quality of player we wouldn't normally be able to afford. Any maintenance or malfunction is the parent club, Chelsea's liability. Although if you have a leased car, you'll appreciate that's not necessarily completely the case. And Palace don't have to worry about any fluctuations of value during the course of the loan. Also, like a leased car, at the end of the loan, Palace can just drop Batshuayi off at the dealership. On the flip side, any loan player often comes with financial penalties for early termination and Palace see no long-term gain or ownership at the end of the loan. In the long run, we will spend more money on loans than buying the asset outright. However, mm. if the alternative is purchasing the second-hand Mondeo, Umanias, you can see why a status symbol like Batshuayi is appealing. Compared to last January, where we signed Yaroslav Yach, Erdal Rakip and Alexander Sorloth, players who are equivalent to buying a £100 car off Gumtree with a sketchy service record and no MOT, this window went considerably better. Cheers, Joe. Do you think that Palace will be punished if Michi Batshuayi goes back to Chelsea with too many miles <laughs> over their <laughs> estimates? He has run too far. <laughs> yeah. Well, if his boots have needed re-studding. <laughs> like they won't play him for the last three games of the season. So they've, they've gone over their annual limit. What is general wear and tear to exactly. a Belgian striker? Uh, Joe says, P.S. Is Hugh aware that someone has created a Wikipedia page for him? <gasps> P.S. How does Steve feel about the fact that he's the only SPM member without a wiki page? Ferris, have you got a Wikipedia page? That's and, amazing. And Joe, for discovering this and more importantly pointing it out to me, uh, I am bestowing upon you the title of Buffalo. Congratulations to Joe Highland, our latest Buffalo. Um, 
Just before we uh, move on to our subject today, um, can we say on behalf of Set Piece Menu um, a couple of uh, a couple of things. First of all, we are doing this in the week that Gordon Banks died, um, so we're all very much thinking about him and his family and his contributions to English football. And also, all four of us know Mickey Thomas very mm. well yep. indeed. And uh, he has recently been di- diagnosed with stomach cancer, and he is actually it's this week that he has started. Um, his treatment um, those of us who know him and, and actually I, I had to pay him for a while know that he is terrible with money mm. to the extent that actually he tried to fake some five pound notes and went to prison yes, for yes. it so I think everybody knows that he's terrible with money, money. so as a result his good friend Debbie has set up a, a GoFundMe page it's uh, just go to GoFundMe and search help Mickey T fight cancer um, at time of recording it's been an incredible response and I think he's got 15 of the 20 grand that he was looking for but anything you can do uh, would be really very much appreciated by him great stories Mickey's the only person that can drive from Southampton to Manchester in two hours (laughs) and I remember I did a a game at Old Trafford and he was working for United and I'd done a pre-recorded interview pitch side and then I was down pitch side and there was a monitor and my interview came up that had been done an hour before and I stood with Mickey, and he looked at me, looked at the monitor, looked at me, looked at the monitor, and said, you're in two places at once. <laughs> and I went, no, that was done earlier. All right. He was complete, completely confused by the fact that I was on the monitor and there in person as was well. What, a, what an incredible guy, Mickey Thomas. Wonderful man. Did he find that as confusing as most people will find your impression of Mickey Thomas, who I believe is Welsh, but sounded like a Geordie? <laughs> that was Geordie slash Welsh. <laughs> he's, he's so well-travelled, you know, he just yeah, picks up true. the lingo. It, it doesn't take him long to get from Mofta, where he lives, to Newcastle, because of Mickey Thomas Airways. And also, he's very good friends with Gary Weaver, one of the commentators at Sky, and he apparently told Gary Weaver, Mickey, that he really enjoyed his time in prison because it was nice and warm and he got regular meals. <laughs> Genuinely, <laughs> he had a nice time yeah, he in went prison. To, he went to Walton Open Prison, yeah. which anybody who knows the prison system <laughs> knows that it's a very pleasant, relatively speaking, uh, prison. But he is a lovely, lovely man. And uh, just his catchphrase, of what's going on, what's going on, uh, yeah. is still something that we all Give generously. So do please give generously mm. via that uh, GoFundMe page. And Gordon Banks is, is very sad as well, obviously. Is. There is, it is. That's a, a, a truly iconic loss. Our conversation today uh, is one that we could have had at any point, but we thought that we'd save it for a suitable time. And there is no time better than the week or week after, chinch, uh, that you are celebrating your 50th birthday. It is the evolution of the fullback. It used to be that fullbacks were wide defenders who marked wingers in a team, but now fullbacks are often the only wingers in that team. When did it change? Why did it become so important tactically? And how did it all seem to bypass Andy Hinchcliffe? This is the evolution of the fullback. Is it, is it, have, full, have fullbacks themselves changed, or because formations have changed, they've, they've changed? With the advent of the holding midfielder, fullbacks can go forward with a lot more freedom. Is it, I don't think it's actually say, well, fullbacks now we're going to change how they play. Have they been not made to change, but they have changed because of formational changes around them? When you were a fullback, yes. Was, was it considered a prestige position? Or not did, at all. Was not it very much kind of... All. So in amateur football, mm-hmm. the fullback, particularly the... And this isn't a joke, but no, particularly no. the left-back, yeah. so few people are left-footed. Yeah. The fullbacks always tended, Saturday, Sunday league, you know, you, the sort of football the rest of us have played, fullback tended to be where you put kind of the it's worst It's like a ten-pint position, isn't it? Anyone yeah. can play there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, during the game? Or not the during the game, not previous night. You yeah. put your toughest fellas or, or, yeah. or women at yeah. the at centre-half. Mm-hmm. You put your best players... Up front, and you twitch players on the wing, yep. and you put the probably the, the the most, well either the oldest or the most experienced or the most sort of technically gifted, and that is an advi- is used kind of 
with limits in central <laughs> midfield, yeah. and then you put the other two people who turned up at fullback. They, Bas- really they didn't seem to do much, did they? No, the they, didn't, they weren't asked to do much. The one who could control the ball and pass it played in the centre of midfield. Yes. yes, he didn't have to run. It would just be basically a pivot, a fulcrum. Yeah. They would just stand there, swivel 180 degrees and belt it to the fast striker yeah. who would run onto it and probably score because the ones that sent back in the other team yeah. were slow. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And then as somebody reminded me on Twitter the other day, uh, you put your, your most sort of enigmatic player on the bench even when you only had 11 players <laughs> in the first place. Are you uh, talking about anyone in particular? Talking about you? me, Chinch. It was described as a classic piece of set-piece menu banter. That's one of my most hurtful memories. That was you going through quite of the mill yeah, and th- somebody calls it banter. It was right? cathartic. My, uh, my uh, personal agony is not banter. A story that you first told two years ago, people are still bringing people up remember as that a story classic piece of set-piece menu banter. Because it's hilarious. Uh, episode six, everybody. <laughs> episode six. That's, that is our best episode we have gone downhill <laughs> since then but yeah if you played as a former back in the day it was kind of well defend against the winger because teams yeah. played 4-4-2 they played 4-4-2 your job was to defend the winger your centre-half would say don't go forward we play as a back four that's what we do and then it was kind of when I kind of came into it and really changed the whole face <laughs> of play. No, don't laugh don't laugh serious stuff when I came along late 80s and I could overlap and, and attack and I had the energy Massive energy to get up and down the pitch. That was unusual because fullbacks had tended to stay where they were, win the ball back, give it to somebody else who can mm. play and stay where you were. And it started to evolve again, the overlapping fullback, because that's all you could do because you had someone in front of you, a left-hand sided midfield player, you were defending against a winger. All you could do was basically get the ball to the wide midfielder, get on the overlap. That's all you could do as a fullback because that was the structure of the team. So as I say, with the structure of teams changing, with a holding midfielder, play maybe one in front of a centre halves. That's when maybe fullbacks were then encouraged to step further forward. So what happened first, chicken or egg? Did the wingers, if you like, disappear because you started to get more forwards and often on the yeah. other foot, so they would be cutting in. So inside four. So it's like four two three one, so maybe was rather the, than four four and two. And yeah. therefore there was no width. Yes. So where are you going to get the width from? Exactly. You're going to get it from your. In- so was, is that yeah. was it? Was it the fact that the the fullbacks became attacking because of a useful element of their game first, or because of the wingers becoming inside forwards that? Then somebody went, well, we need width, so where's it going to come I, from? I would presume a team trying to be more positive or changing the way that they play, it was done more from the point of view of saying, right, we want to play 4-2-3-1. So that's mm. where then, then the opposition fullbacks think, OK, I'm not going to play against a genuine wide player. He's going to play more infield. That gives me more licence to get forward. There's more space for me to operate. So I don't know whether it came from teams changing the way that they played. That then meant the opposition's fullbacks could play in a different way because the demands weren't the same. Mm. The, the, the opposition or even your team had changed the structure. But when did that first... Because I played, what, four four two all the way... You're looking even in the, the mid-90s. A lot of teams were playing three at the back and were changing. But I don't know when kind of four two three one seemed to be the system maybe for the last at least there 10 years that teams have been playing. Well, it's still four four two when Sven was desperate to play four four two for yeah. England because he yeah. thought that there was no other yeah, formation yeah. available to him. Yeah. You yeah. did play wing-back. You've told us the story about Jason McAteer. Yes, yes, so yes. you must have played in a, th- in a back three slash five. We whatever. did, but that, the main reason for that was to be more defensively secure. So I think right. ideally, if things were going well, you would have played four four two. But actually, because we were... We were struggling to stay up so the first thing you tend to do is play a three or a five and then say that should give us more so that was mainly again born out of the situation we were in yeah I don't think it was to do with look at the personnel they're all let's play kind of three five two because that suits the players we've got it was more born out of something else but just that change from that rigid four four two for so long I think we talked about this before where that change actually came was it teams wanting to just change the formation be more attacking they didn't maybe have wide wingers didn't want to play with them anymore so they played a different formation that then changed the role of the fullback well, so I, I would say that 4-2-3-1 was popularised in England early sort of to mid 2000s by Mourinho and Benitez that okay. was that was when yeah, it, it was sense. Mourinho and Benitez yeah. that shifted it from for everyone played 4-4-2 
or four four one one to either four three three or four four two three one, which which are very similar systems. Yeah. They're just they're sort of inflections of different systems rather than totally different systems. Um, it changed on the continent before that. I think I mean Barcelona would have been playing a four three three for for years, and I remember that the the fullbacks in the dream team were Sergi Barjuan and Albert Ferrer. In what year? What year is this? Mid nineties at Barcelona. Okay. So that's the ninety two. Yeah. So they would have European been. And Sergi definitely was very attacking. He was a he was a modern fullback that we'd recognise. Okay. Roberto Carlos obviously comes through in the late nineties. Well, Cafu and Cafu, Cafu. Right back, even though he didn't play in Europe. But, but what's interesting? So the Brazil very team, much. the Brazil team that wins the World Cup in ninety four had Jorginho and Branco, who were I think <coughs> fairly typical historical fullbacks. Maldini was still playing as a left back at that stage and we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago didn't we about kind of the, the greatest ever left back yes. yeah. it was interesting that Maldi, um, I would always say Maldini was the greatest ever left back but from an attacking point of view Maldini in the, in the, the modern expectation of full backs Maldini probably isn't he didn't do part of the role that we now think is but kind that, of that compulsorily a, yes that AC Milan back four were, were four defenders they, they were all defenders they didn't so if he went forward he maybe went on the overlap like I've talked about he wouldn't have started in a really high position no, he that wouldn't maybe have played, wouldn't have yeah. suited his game as much I he was more of a left back who wanted to get forward maybe on the overlap rather than starting yeah. higher up the pitch I am too young to remember uh, like early Maldini but certainly by kind of the early 90s he was as he was drifting sort of more central he was he was a full back yeah. yeah I mean it's not that he would never go forward and there'll be people well, not our listenership, but if, if this was a slightly lef- less refined listenership, people would be like, well, actually, I remember Paolo Maldini going forward against Salernitana, and he was he strawed from the edge of the box. And he obviously went forward sometimes. They're not, players weren't static in those systems, but the, the, in, the influence they had and the kind of impetus they had and the role they had was not primarily to attack. Yeah. He, he so, was more likely to have attacked if he was going to come forward inside. Yeah, carry the ball with Rather him, yeah. than oh. out yeah. on the overlap. So I, I, I think it probably is around the turn of the century that it starts to change. Mm. What comes first, whether the, the invention of the Makaleli role, yeah. which means that the defensive midfielder drops, the centre-back split, which means that in possession, the full-backs then are pushed forward. That might have been the the kind of the starting point. It may have been that teams decided that they wanted their winners to come inside, although I think that's a later development. I think the early 4-2-3-1s, you still had traditional winners. You still had winners who were going on the outside. Were wingers still being produced? Was it a question of sometimes we didn't have the players to play that way? Mourinho had Mourinho had proper winners, yeah. Mourinho had proper winners. So they were still there. Rafa didn't, though, did he? Uh, No, he did. They weren't as good. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, I mean, he still had like Albert Riera and, I mean, Dirk Count, who played on the right for Liverpool for a long time, was not a proper winner, but he... He wasn't what he we would now call an, an inverted winger. Yeah, like Trevor Stephen, who I played against when I was a kid, at Everett, he was a winger. Yeah. He was a proper winger, wasn't he? He'd take you on on the outside. That's yeah. how I'd always class it. If you're up against somebody, are they willing to take you on on the Dirt outside? Dirk Count, I would yeah. say, couldn't. Most, most times they, they, yeah. they move infield. Dirk Count, I would say, couldn't take you on the outside or the inside. But Dirk Count, for example, is no Stuart Ripley. No. And, of course, Stuart Ripley from who the is? Shinch era. Who is? Very but much the, at the top of the game. Robin's quite a good example. So Robin at Chelsea and at Real Madrid played on the left, which is his natural side. He was a proper winner. As he went to when he went to Bayern, that's when he started playing more on the right or more permanently on Where the right. Where did he do at Real? Did he him. See? I think possibly a bit of both. I think he was still playing a lot on the left at Real, but I, I I'm prepared to be wrong about that. Because um, Chelsea also had Damien Duff, yeah, who proper winner is a proper winger. Mm. So I think that the the inversion of the winners 
uh, which will be the title of my 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 first folk album. Um, <laughs> I think that happened later. So I think Chinch is probably right that it's the dropping of the defensive midfielder to split the centre backs that pushes the full backs forward. I think that's probably the, the start of it. Yeah. But so, it's also so the Barcelona. So, but so, so, and we're yeah. talking about then Dani Alves being the kind of the quintessential modern bombing on who plays genuinely more as an attacking player, player yeah. than he is a defensive player even though he's playing at right back in a four because of it being Barcelona and them yeah. having that they have the ball range. and they drop Busquets and that's how the play starts but then I think Dani Alves if you speak to him about it would probably draw a direct line from himself back to Cafu so I wonder yeah. if Cafu's the first the first of the modern fullbacks and obviously like this, this, the Carlos Alberto goal in 1970 again I don't think that was that Carlos Alberto was as attack-minded as we would see a modern fullback to be now. If you, if you see a goal like that, you think, oh, he's doing it every time. Yeah, possession. I don't he think isn't. he is. And no. that, that's what I'm trying to say is my being brought up playing in a back four, a back four. It wasn't a kind of two centre-halves, a holding midfielder. As a fullback, you could step up the pitch. You did not. You defended. You stopped crosses. I remember Tony Buck, Limpardo, my coaches at Man City. That was the job. That's and what I've done as a kid. They were both fullbacks, of course. So they were they were good people to learn from. But the job was, you played as a back four. You didn't wander too far away from the left. If I was playing left back, the left hand sided centre half. You didn't step up the pitch. Even when I played at Sheffield Wednesday in a back four with Des Walker, he was absolutely adamant. Every time we lost the ball, he'd be screaming at me, "Get alongside me. We play as a as a line of four. I don't want you stepping up. I don't want you." getting close to a winger, let him have the ball, then close him down. You play alongside me. So those principles are really, and that was what, in kind of 2000, so that, that, that again, with, with experienced defenders, they, they still saw the value of a back four and a full back tucking in, getting close to a centre half. And that's something that I kind of learnt from kind of mid-80s onwards. That, that was the role. You defended, and then if you could get forward, you had the energy or the ability to get on the overlap, you did it. But you thought about it. You didn't just go every time you were in possession. Because your own teammates would be saying, "Be very careful. We lose the ball. You're out of position. I'm going to be give it to, giving it to you because we're, we're going to be in trouble because they're playing with a winger. We, you, we lose the ball. They're back at us. You're out of position. So it was very. You had to be absolutely sure before you stepped over the halfway line. Is there another position that's evolved so quickly because fullbacks have gone from being defenders to to more or less replacing wingers and the responsibilities that they at one time had because they are now being asked to effectively do two jobs. Yes, there is that defensive midfielder whose responsibility has increased in terms of helping out defensively, but it has become a much more yeah. exhausting role. And, and a lot of the players that we've talked about already obviously played for very, very good sides. And it's clearly something that's filtered down from dominant teams who had the luxury of being able to play on the front foot like that. Mm. But it has set a standard that others whether they probably wanted to or not, have had to follow because that is now deemed to be the entertaining and most progressive way to play football. There's probably still plenty of fullbacks playing at a slightly lower level who would prefer to just stick to defending, but they now have to develop their game, don't they, to contribute going forward. And certainly you see a lot in the Bundesliga, which I've, I've, I've been watching even more so than usual this season, that the, the, the responsibilities of a left or right-sided midfielder and those of a left or right back mm -hmm. are effectively interchangeable. We looked at Rafa Guerrero at Dortmund, yep. who is theoretically a left back, but plays as a left winner, a right winner, a central midfielder. He Left back is now... And is expected to score goals. Yeah. Is expected to get into the penalty area. Yeah. And, and, well, and, and, and scored, scored at the weekend against Hoffenheim, in fact, for Dortmund. But you look at the actual physical build of fullbacks as well. You go back to, say, Kenny Sansom. 
You mm. see that the shape, I'm not just saying it was myself as well, we were kind of built in a certain way because you didn't have to cover the ground. But you look at, say, if you watch Norwich, the two young fullbacks at Norwich, Max Ahrens, Jamal Lewis, that they are basically athletes. They're basically 1,500 metre runners. They're very good defenders as well. But their energy, but that's that's the modern role of a fullback. That's what you have to be. You have to be lean. You have to be quick. You have to be strong. Stamina to get up and down the pitch because that's the demands of of the role. So if you look at the shape of modern fullbacks, look at Kyle Walker, Kieran Trippier. You don't see any of these chunky, solid, even like Leighton Baines or uh, Luke Shaw. They're built more like fullbacks from kind of the 2000s. But you're now starting to see real athletes now, lean whippets playing at full-back because the demands of the job has well, changed. Who, who yeah. gets, gets forward and scores. Yeah, well, so, yeah. so I think there's, there's two other factors that, in terms of the evolution. One is is that brief period in the mid-90s when people decided to play 3-5-2 but didn't really understand it. I think that, that was a signal that coaches maybe felt that you could cover the flank with one player. Mm-hmm. And even when everyone switched back to four-man defence, which generally I think is still the case, uh, although it's, well, it's changed a bit in the last couple of years, but I think you probably get more four than threes. I wonder whether that kind of belief stuck around, the, the idea that, that you could cover the, the flank with one player. And the second one is the, the fitness training. The fitness training that they that players have now is vastly superior even to what this magnificent well, digital specimen had. It was only starting to come in at Sheffield Wednesday where they were starting to say, wait a minute, a central midfielder compared to a fullback, the amount of gra- the demands of the job, mm. you know, why, why goalkeepers go and train separately? Well, because they're goalkeepers. Yeah, but that's the same then for outfield positions. You've got to train physically for the position that you're going to play and that's when things were starting to, the demands of watching maybe Ashley Cole play yeah. and they were starting to realise you're going to have to do sprints up and down the pitch 10-12 times a game so you've got to be fit enough to be able to do that it's pointless running out of steam after two yeah. you're just totally ineffective so they started to change and positionally train you to, to actually be able to play where, where they needed you to play watch how often just pay attention how often do you see in a game now a sort of a player in a number 10 role get on the ball a little bit isolated, might have a strike a little bit further ahead of ahead of them, but they are looking around for that overlapping run. Mm-hmm. And there's almost an exasperation that it doesn't arrive when they want it to, even if the player they're expecting to have made that run was 15 seconds ago defending down by their own corner flag. It's a huge responsibility. And, and it's, in, in, as Rory was saying at the beginning, you know, perhaps, you know, as we remember when we were growing up, it wasn't a terribly fancy position playing at, at fullback. That was arguably where you'd put your weaker players. But now, now all of a sudden, I feel like it's evolved into a prestige yeah. position, and and I think perhaps we'll see that develop more and more. Well, so the the other thing that's impo- that I think significant is that you mentioned the two lads at Norwich. Mm. If you if you look at fullbacks, and I, re- I they are as Chinch in his great wisdom says they are trained differently yeah. in terms of their their physical conditioning. Because clubs now recognise that different roles have different demands. But I think what's, if you look at the players that are being produced generally by academies, they are all obviously quick, they are all technically, technically adept, and they're basically all midfielders. And what we've seen in attack is that more and more of those positions are now being filled by midfielders. So you have the winners, very rarely get winners who play on their natural side now. Raheem Sterling, who's, who's having as good a season as a winner as anybody has ever had in the Premier League era, is, is quite rare because he plays on his natural side. I think Sane plays on his natural side as well. That now counts as a great kind of tactical shift by Guardiola, but it's just going back, it's just doing the, the opposite to what everybody else is doing, just normally winners play on the wrong side, the Robin model at Bayern. So we've seen more and more midfielders kind of colonise positions, and I th- think that midfielders have now colonised the fullback roles as well. So you've got players who are technically good enough to be midfielders playing at fullback, yeah. and they are playing like midfielders. So the other thing that's really important about fullbacks now 
is they start the moves. And it was something you noticed so much at Martinez's, Roberto Martinez's Everton that it kind of cost him his job. That, that their whole oh, yes. pattern of play thing. was you start with the full-backs. Wasn't that the thing that got you in trouble with him, writing about that? Uh, I think it might have been, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and all of Martinez's moves started with the full-backs. They built the play, mm-hmm. Baines and yeah, Coleman. Coleman yeah. And it, for the first season, it worked brilliantly because teams didn't really cotton onto it. And then middle, like midway through the second season, they they figured it out because they read your piece. B- because <laughs> well, no, that, I, I like all journalists. I stuck the knife in at the end. Yeah, into his back, and then then got a text from him, got very upset. Um, the yeah, that there is a role that fullbacks have now in in building play that's incredibly important. So it's not just that they are expected to bomb on and provide those overlapping runs. They are meant in those passing teams. They are meant to start the moves and I would guess and Chinch will be able to, to put me right if I'm wrong I would guess that's because more and more teams don't start with long goal kicks you have to pass it somewhere mm-hmm. and you, you, you don't always want to pass it to your centre halves because that can be quite risky so you start the play wide you then contract it in to trap the, the opposing team into a into kind of out well A out of their shape and B into pressing you in, in central areas then you expand again as you get um get back into get into where, their heart where the space has been created that's how it works and I think that is why fullbacks have has become fullback has become such an important role because they have such a central role in building play but also even teams playing out from the back you watch Man City classic example the two centre halves in essence become the fullbacks the fullbacks yep. then step into midfield and the, the distances between the, it is a back four but it, it's clearly not in a straight line and mm. that's again having players that are really good in possession Don't give them, if you give the ball away you're in big trouble because the spaces are enormous but if you watch Edison in possession have a look at where John Stones and say uh, Laporte are they they basically take up the foot and he's, he's saying so in essence they become the fullback starting the play with Fernandinho dropping with Fernandinho yeah. dropping in so they've always got that out but and teams then are very low to go because the distances are too great it happened against Chelsea in that 6-0 win yeah. that, that, Higuain couldn't get goal. close to anybody because yeah. the distances were enormous but that's because City that's what they want to do and they trust each other in possession and as you say it, it spreads the game and then they contract it and teams get pushed and pulled everywhere two points uh, about City because they're, they're they're tactically interesting but also because you had a chance to speak to Carl Walker. Yeah, I was going um, to mention um, yeah, yeah, about his view of, of his role. Exactly, yeah. and about essentially how he has had to learn about when to go. Mm. Because he w- he said that when he was with Spurs, he went, but he didn't really think about whether it was right to go, and yeah. he would sometimes be caught out. Yeah. Uh, he was trying to illustrate to you that the moments that he chose mm-hmm. were a little bit more kind of educated and drilled into him because of he's... he's more able to kind of judge the, the shape of players. Is, is, well, is that a part of the fullback's armoury now? Not only to be able to go, but to know when to go. Well, when you're physically able to go and go and go and go, you then have to think long and hard about whether you need to and the timing of, of, of stepping forward. Because you've got the physical energy to do it doesn't mean the time's right to do it. But I remember asking him, are you a defender who likes to attack? Or are you, are, in essence, a midfielder, an attacker who has to do a bit of defending? And he said, no, I'm a defender and clean sheets are what I'm... And I found that really interesting because I don't, I don't feel he is the greatest defender we've ever seen. But the, the, he has adapted his game. He's definitely not the greatest defender we've ever seen. Ever seen. No, <laughs> I, I he's not quite that. into sort of Maldini. But class, he's, but. you can see him now starting normally when City are in possession. Well, when he was playing for Tottenham, or he'd go. Because that, that was just, I've got the energy, I've got the, the speed, I can get up and down. But now you're starting to just hold, hold, hold a little bit. Then when the play develops, then he can step in. And his game, I think, has been... It's kind of strange because City... It, the, Tottenham were when he was at Tottenham if teams stepped on 
he became really effective on the counter-attack because he's incredibly quick. He can go and go and come back again. But with City, he's got players in front of him and City keep the ball really well. So he's been a little bit, I think, frustrated. A bit like Benjamin Mendy as well. When you've got Sane in front of you or Sterling, if they or Silva, well, if they maintain the width, you've got nowhere to he's go. Never, he's never played. He's played once yeah. with Mendy and Sane. Yeah, and because you've got, you think if you've got wide players, mm. normally if they're inverted, they're stepping infield. That then creates a space for you to get forward. But City, if Sane plays, he maintains the width. Silva maintains the width pretty well on the right. So you can see Carl Walker and Mendy thinking, I want, I want to keep going forward because they're so energetic and that's their usual game. So they're having to adapt their game so they're becoming more passing players than actually physical players getting up and down the pitch the other thing to say about City um, we, we just mentioned the Chelsea game the sixth goal against um, uh, Chelsea was kind of archetypal pep the way that it started with Edison and it split the, the centre-backs and then they eventually kind of moved it got the press on and then the space behind it. and it included a little moment where Alexander Zinchenko was playing left back was playing as the inverted full back and keeping it ticking along in midfield because that's where the space had been created because the pressing had gone out to the wide centre-backs yeah. but against Arsenal the previous week City played with three at the back Walker on one side Laporte on the other that was how they were when they were in possession without possession Fernandinho dropped back to be not just that auxiliary centre-back as often the holding midfield does but as a genuinely orthodox you know challenging headers and you know playing as a centre-back but what they did when they had possession is that they they essentially so they didn't play with any full-backs because the two full-backs ostensibly were Laporte and Walker, but they were in a back three. Mm-hmm. So they had no full-backs because they played Sané and Sterling, yeah, I, th- yeah, I think, yeah. or maybe Silver yeah. and Sterling on yeah. that occasion. And so they're setting up like that to have no full-backs, but when they had possession and wanted the width, split. Walker and Laporte, Laporte became exactly. full-backs. So yeah, this yeah. is a formation which essentially played with both no full-backs and two full-backs. But then, like, so Kyle Walker, if you think about Kyle Walker's game, it's about flying up and down the flank but actually now he's being we don't need that because we dominate the ball we don't need full but we don't need you in that attacking position down the right we want Bernardo Silva we want you in the team but we're going to play you as basically a defender who yes when we're deep you can split get the ball off the goalkeeper pass it to someone in midfield so you're seeing less of Kyle Walker flying yeah. up and down the flank because the structure of the team there's no space for him to actually operate in because City it all stems and again I don't know whether he's slightly frustrated or really enjoying it because he's had to adapt his game. For England, he was playing as a as a centre-half as well because Kieran Trippier was doing that job up and down. But the, the way that City play maybe is slightly frustrating if you are Mendy or Kyle Walker because your natural game is to just, when you're in possession, is to go flying forward. And City don't need them to do that because they're so good and they have, like I said, they'd rather have wingers or attackers in those full step step forward full-back positions. They don't need Kyle Walker and, and Benjamin Mendy. For the, for the absolute best teams, though, is that not... Is there not a little glimmer of the future in what Pep does where you have a system that doesn't have necessarily dedicated central defenders and dedicated fullbacks and a dedicated back four that they are dominating the ball so much that they don't need in the same way as when, when everyone switched from three five from four four two to three five two in the nineties, part of it was driven by the fact that that they were recognising that we have players now who can cover this ground for for ninety minutes, including Peter Atherton, and <laughs> the <laughs> very <laughs> imbalanced Sheffield Wednesday. That was the problem on the left. It was very weak, but the <laughs> you wonder whether now there's partly for reasons of conditioning, but partly for for reasons of the the nature of most games, where the coaches are looking at it and thinking we don't actually need dedicated defenders no. the whole time no. we can have we can play two or three at the back almost and 
assume that not only can players get back to cover if we need it, but also they won't need to do it that often as we have so much of the ball. So you might end up in, with systems that are nominally, say, three at the back, where the left-sided and right-sided central defender also function as the full-back, and the, the, the wide attacking players are told you've got to track back. And to be honest, where the central defender, the, the one dedicated central defender, could be a Fernandinho-style player who alternate or who alternates with a Fernandinho-style player, does, you, does you, often you only need one at the back? It was it was Otamendi on, on was that Otamendi, yeah. against um, Arsenal because he was the the defender yeah. to deal with Lacazette. And to be honest, that's Nicolas Otamendi. Yeah, but that's but that's the problem. But that's why he was there. Yeah. That's the problem Mendy and Kyle Walker have. If you don't really need those type of fullbacks, you can basically play, as you said, Fernandinho. You could play Laporte and Otamendi as proper defenders because we might need to do a bit of defending. But in essence, our fullbacks are Sane and Bernardo Silva or Raheem Sterling because we're so good in possession that we don't need fullbacks. So they're going to get squeezed out of the game, and they might actually end up thinking, well. The demands are going to change for them. Is Carl Walker really a sense? Oh, we've got a sense half. We've got Otamendi. Why? Why would you play Carl Walker? Although it's a kind of a flip up between who is the, the better defender out of those two. You could then just play like the Port's been a huge success mm. because he can pass the ball, but he's a good defender as well. You end up with because Fernandinho gives you that option of playing basically two positions. The natural fullback players are going to get squeezed out. I can't see how Mendy and Walker are eventually going to get into that team. So he's been, oh, he's been helped out by the fact that Mendy's been injured a lot. But look, yeah. Laporte won the ball back on the left-hand edge of the penalty area for the first goal against Arsenal as a left-back, yeah. having been set yeah. up as a centre-back. Yeah, I just wonder whether Manchester City are slightly distorting this conversation Possibly, yeah. in that actually the quality, quality of the players and the tactics are more important to what City are doing and the way they are dominating opposition rather than having the best players in the best positions. I thought quite a lot this season about the quality of City being that, that sum and that if you were putting together a best Premier League eleven position by position, it might be that not too many City players mm. get into it yeah. because it's so yeah. difficult to define yeah. who plays where and, and Walker and Mendy are really good examples of that. That They almost in the long term might be doing themselves out of a job by being so versatile mm. and by becoming part of that greater whole that Pep has created and and there's almost a danger of putting the cart before the horse in terms of formation if you try and follow and try and replicate what City are doing without the quality of well, the players. Like Leic- You're going to be Leicester. asking too much of Leicester them. Leicester simply couldn't do what Man City do. Most teams can't do what Man City do. But Leicester, again, they've got to play the way that they play, 40% possession or whatever it is. They play with a genuine back four, mm-hmm. two genuine full-backs. And again, it all stems from if they try to play a different way, that would all change. They're not good enough to do that. So they play to their strengths. And so many teams now in the Premier League, the bottom half of the Premier League, are having to do that because they, they maybe want to play the way that City, but they can't because they haven't got the, the, the quality of player to do that. So they're then reverting to something that's a lot safer. And a lot of the teams, bottom half, the, do play with back fours and do play with, with genuine full-backs. Garth Crooks in his team of the week and you know, wanting to pick on you know the, the, the low-hanging fruit because it often does uh, spark quite the, quite the debate, but uh, it, it fitted in a little bit when I saw it with what we, we were going to talk about this week because he described Andy Robertson at Liverpool as being the best left-back he's seen since Ashley Cole. Okay, fair enough. He's entitled to that viewpoint. But as you scroll down the article and get to the formation of the team, he's got Robertson playing on the left-hand side of a defensive three, <laughs> which I don't think we'd have ever anticipated Not the really. position that, Andy Cole, uh, that Ashley Cole would play in. No. Not really his, his strength, Andy Robertson, that, I think. I think <laughs> but that's not where he plays. But Robertson, that's not, but, clearly not where he but plays. He, but he, had, he had Sterling he on the left-hand side yeah. of a midfield four, so he wanted to get Robertson in the team as right. the best left-back yeah. he'd ever yeah. seen since Ashley Cole. But did at least play on the left against Chelsea, so, yeah. Robertson... Half-truths in there. I was going to get really 
excited and say that maybe we've we've hit upon something, which is that fullbacks have become so important that they are essentially cursing themselves to their own extinction. Yeah, the, the, evolution is the evolution is the evolution is extinct. Which is which is actually, if you look at the way that football has gone, is true of quite a lot of specialist positions. So it, it might yet be the case. I think Steve's totally right that City are are a distorting effect, and someone like Robertson proves yeah. that fullbacks are not. There'll always be a place for them yeah. because teams, all teams, aren't going to be as good as Man City. They can't distort positions the way that Man City yeah. can. Most teams in the Premier League, even Liverpool, you're right, don't do that. Andy Robertson's really effective as a as a, a forward-thinking left-back. They've seen with the in the weeks that Trent Alexander-Arnold's not been there, they've yeah. not had a dedicated right-back, that Liverpool's team has become quite unbalanced as they, re- they rely, as we started we, as we started out saying, they rely on those two players mm. to provide not only the energy but the width. Yeah. So there, there are still teams out there who who need proper fullbacks, and that maybe suggests that City are, as Steve says, an outlier rather than a kind of a harbinger. Uh, fin- final point about this uh, subject is uh, we mentioned Ashley Cole. Is he's been a lot in the news recently because he came back to England, signed, signed for Derby. Thirty-eight years old now. Did did Monday Night Football on Sky. Um, Chinch, you were talking. Um, you you did a derby game, and you were talking to us about how how important you thought he was. How good yeah, you thought just he was. Put, putting him in Let, context. Yeah. Let's round off this conversation by talking yeah. about the best English left back since 1986 in 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 mm. Ashley Cole. I mean, how how good was is he? Because he was a left back, overlooked a little bit unfairly. Um, I, I spoke to Rory about this, and he gave me some great insight. And mm. uh, was uh, <laughs> was Ashley Cole unfairly judged on the pitch because of his persona and his lifestyle? Off the pitch. Yes, I think he was, Andrew. Yes, like they, I think you actually said that. I so that I, I know you yes, yes, so repurposed it as your. But it, again, if you if you if you could just take away, well, why should you take away? It's the life that he lived. But his, his performances, and again, he was he again. He, if, Ashley Cole at his best was it his best Chelsea. You said about two thousand and eight to two thousand and twelve. Yeah. I'd say that Pete, Ashley, Ashley Cole, Cole would would still be the best left back in the Premier League today. Yes. There's still no one as good as him. So again, that puts into context. You talked about Maldini. Um, we talked about Lam. Uh, who else would come into the equation as well? Roberto Carlos. Maybe if that era, the last 25 years, football You're not going to say Marcelo, Rory. Marcelo doesn't come into the equation because of his hair. But um, <laughs> Ashley Cole Marce- has to be Marcelo, as much four. as I love Marcelo, is not as good. I think Marcelo is the best signing of all time, but... Marcelo is not as good as a left back as Philip Lahm or as Maldini. No, he's not. In that, he's not in that quality. He's better than Roberto Carlos. Marcelo is not a more valuable signing than Timo Pukki at Norwich, who <laughs> yes. came on a free transfer and has scored twenty-one goals. Marcelo, fire co- Nor- let me finish <laughs> and fire Norwich to the Premier League. Marcelo mm. cost ten million dollars. This is twelve years ago for a different Timo Pukki cost nothing. <laughs> Beat zero if you can. <laughs> different day. Sorry. So Ashley anyway, Cole. Yes. Anyway, we Cole was the only member of England's golden generation who was truly the best in the world in his position. There you go. Uh, before we go, it's time for never mind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story! This is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy detail. Actually, no, not today. Is it cake? Over the more than 100 episodes, Chinch has told soccer stories about several of those players and coaches he's come across over the years of his high-profile and weighty, trophy-laden, just one, career. Two, Charity Shield. (laughs) Those claims have gone unchallenged. Until now. Oh, God, no. Because on the occasion of his half-century, it seems like a couple of them would like a right of reply. That's when the word right can start with a W. Oh. First, though... A little message from the one man who may well have featured in more soccer stories than any other, Big Neville Southall. Happy birthday, Andy. Um, hope you have a great day, mate. 
and I hope you're better um, with your right foot now than you ever were before. What I did like about you, mate, you were always class. You could always pass a ball. You had a great brain on you. And I think, think it's a real shame you didn't go into coaching. But I, I do like listening to you now on a Sunday afternoon because it is usually the best sleep I ever get. Speak to you later, <laughs> mate. Have a great day. Firstly, can I say happy birthday, Andrew? And thank you very much for the Howard Hughes book. It was very informative. And at the time, I was going through it, wanting to find out more about eccentricity. And I think that Howard Hughes was a very eccentric man. And, and just to clear it up, I actually did steal it from Andy. He gave it to me, but I didn't give it back. I'd <laughs> gladly reimburse him in any way he'd like if, if he wants me to. But hopefully, he's not that uh, shallow. Um, happy birthday again and loving the podcast, guys. Great times, great times. Bye, my friends. So, Andy Hinchcliffe, um, it's Pat Nevin here. Of course, you were known as one of the most intelligent uh, players that were playing football. Um, and I was delighted to get a dangerous intellectual uh, in the team as well. Someone else who had actually read one book uh, when you came to Everton. Um, but were you really that intellectual? Because uh, one abiding memory was of your silly schoolboy sniggering when we were both at breakfast one morning, being the only two still sober. Um, and someone else came to the table who we had watched unknowingly kissing what he thought was a young lady the night before and wasn't. Yes, we sniggered and sniggered and sniggered. It wasn't big, it wasn't clever, but it was quite funny. Pat Nevin, Ian Wright and Neville Selfer with their birthday messages for Andy Hinchcliffe. Um, Chinch, we have um, a present here, which is in the spirit of Mr. Ian Wright, but comes to the three of us, if you'd like to uh, open, open that. It's in the spirit of Ian Wright. It's in not from Ian Wright. No, no. This isn't this, the book I gave him was, was double the thickness. Double the thickness of this. So I know it can't be, unless they've... Con- I can't get into it. <laughs> unless they... Oh, who's... who's Sellotape, sellotape, who wraps it? I I wrapped it. It's very tight. You're very good at wrapping. Uh, It's anything square I can do. Oh, hello. What's this now? Paul Jewell. Oh, no, sorry. No, it's not. It's not. (laughs) Howard Hughes, his life and madness. That's a bit harsh. Madness. That's a bit harsh. Have you read that? I haven't, but I'm I'm going to read Mr. First. No, 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 no. no, no. I'll read this first (laughs) and I'll take Mr. from underneath the table leg and read that later. Look at that there. That's, look at that picture straight away. <laughs> boom, boom. I, I can't even describe what's going on there. Howard Hughes is a fascinating man. He really is. He really is. Now, we will end this part of the podcast, a celebratory one, uh, with Chinch's favourite player, but before him, Chinch's favourite coach, Willie Donaghy. Hi, Andy. I hope this works. This is the third time I've tried this. You know, as all farts are like. Anyway... You make me feel really old now that you're 50. I can't believe you're that old. But I'm delighted you're doing well in your new career. I knew you would. And I want to say thanks for all you did for me in my career as a coach. And great success for you and me with Everton. And I really appreciate everything you've done. Hope you have a great day. I look forward to seeing you and I'll be watching you on TV. Take care. Hi, Inchit. It's Andy Bulver here. I've heard you've been telling tales about me and I think, looking back, it's time you came clean. About 20 years ago, we were at Sheffield Wednesday training ground. Me and you, again, were injured. We spent a lot of time in, in that gym together. Paul Jewell was, was the manager and it had snowed. And can you remember what you wrote in the, 
in the snow. But you weren't happy. I think you'd done your Achilles, so you've been out a long time. And you you wrote some in the snow. A, a big swear word, starting with F, ending in, in K. Uh, and it must have been 30, 40 foot big, this uh, snow message. But what, what you didn't realise, did you, was it was right in front of Paul Jewell's office window. And when, obviously, Jagger came, came back from training... He looked out of his window in his office and all he saw was this message and it knew from one of the players. And obviously, he'd gone absolute berserk and he wanted to know who did it, who d- told him to uh, to F off. And then, can you remember, you got Kevin Pressman to delete the the CCTV footage uh, because obviously it showed you you doing it. So we had President, who was a techno geek, uh, deleting all the CCTV coverage in, in the training ground. And just so you didn't get told off, I think I think Jagger were going to find the person and gonna they were going to be in big, big trouble. He had completely lost his head. So I think now you're 50 inch. I think you're really going to have to come clean. I think it's about time you hold your hands up and said, "Yeah, I I wrote that message in in the snow." Inchet, wish you want to wish you all all the best for your birthday. I can't believe I can't believe you're 50. If if it had been me, I'd have said nearer 60. <laughs> Andy Booth. We need Boothy's soccer stories. We should just get Booth. They're brilliant. Hang on. You you got Kevin Pressman. This is, that is no, whoa, whoa, ridiculous. Whoa, 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 whoa. You got Kevin I Pressman. get d- anyone to do anything. To delete the CCTV. I know nothing of this occurrence. That sounds, that sounds like the, the plot's the least no, entertaining it's, it's, and believable what? thriller ever. It's where Kevin Pressman in a darkened room. Wait a minute. Paul Jewell was going to find the perpetrator. They were going to find me. They were going to sack me. For doing what, Chinch? You didn't know I, anything? I don't know. Andy Booth did it. I've told this, I think I've told this story. <laughs> and Booth is saying, they're going to sack me. No, but they, they, they know it's me. It's not you. Yeah, but you've told them it's me. Yes, they know it's not you. It's me. Yeah, but you've told... Yes. Again, for the third time, they know it's not you. <laughs> I love the idea that he described Kevin Pressman as a techno geek. Was though he was dropping acid and whacking on some hard house whilst, he was, whilst, delete, whilst deleting CT's <laughs> TV footage of Chinch. Did Kevin Pressman... Have the technological capacity to delete. Did he have access to the Sheffield Wednesday CCTV system, and I, why? No, I feel he got the security man in a headlock and made him do it. Do if, that's, if that's technical prowess, then yes, you he know, is gifted. You know, we've been talking about the, the. You know, we've been talking about the evolving role of fullbacks. Yeah. Have we missed the fact that part of the role of the goalkeeper is to is to have access to the the, the security footage? Uh, this is uh, it's all news to me. I, I've I've told a version of this story which I feel is the truth. Boothy's got his view, but time has passed. Who's to say what really happened? Well, happy birthday, Chinch. Cheers. That's am- Oh, that's amazing. Abs- Willie Donaghy, what I did for his coaching career. Did you hear that? <laughs> he got it. That was correct, what he said, wasn't it? What I did for his coaching career. Neville Southall, I should have gone into coaching. Have I missed my calling? Seriously. What do you mean ridiculous? I've missed my calling. Great people are telling me I should have been doing something more valuable. I, I, what, have I, what am I doing sitting here, drinking coffee and possible cake <laughs> I should be out there changing the world coaching uh, we leave you with a reminder of how to get in touch with the podcast at setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com facebook.com forward slash setpiecemenu please subscribe share rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule thanks to Steve Rory and to the 50 year old Andy Hinchcliffe and to you all for listening we'll be back with another setpiece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed we should probably say thank you to all of our, 
our excellent contacts in the football world who provided that audio, shouldn't we? That's a, thank They've you done very, very well. Very, that's, uh, yeah, thank you very, very much. The, the Pat Nevin story, I don't know whether I've... I think you have told, have you've I, told a version of that. I don't a version of that. I can't tell you the actual true version of that. <laughs> Surprise, Pat went down the road of kissing what he thought was a woman. <laughs> anyway, let's just leave it there, but there's a, there's a definite story Would in Would you uh, like to uh, end the show with picking a random page of the Howard Hughes, his life and madness book and... Uh, Reading us a little section. Hinted onto page one. <laughs> well, random. Where else? No, prologue, actually. Where else am I going to start? Off you you have I got a voice for audiobooks? <laughs> a cool tropical breeze blew in from the sea, gently swaying the palm trees and curtains in the open lobby, full stop. Dancers in Tiffany's, the hotel's lavish discotheque, were unlimbering, preparing to make a long night of it. Unlimbering? That's this is not a good, here, this is not a good Who start. Who wrote this book? R. Smith. <laughs> 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 right, stick to football, you clown. <laughs>